Well, in an ideal world, and when you look at like traditional lesson study from Japan and such, it is constant all the time, every day, every week. But in a reality where we're still trying to develop it, Gabby had said earlier, you know, there's a pre, there's the teaching, and then there's the post with the reflection. And we've kind of shrunk down our teaching day and our reflection into one day. And then we just have to do our pre far enough ahead of time that you can plan the lesson and hone it a little bit. And that's working okay for us. I don't know, like Gabby, if you want to say like what's in your experience, what's seemed to be effective in terms of quantity and the timing of the lesson studies. I would say in an ideal world, you could have at least one day a month. And in that one day, you're listening to episode 30 of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast as we welcome Gabrielle Maya and Jedediah Butler as we take a deep dive into the most effective PD you're not doing lesson study. Sure, many of us have had the opportunity through a district-led initiative or maybe a grant to possibly engage in this type of learning, but was it a one-and-done experience that's no longer happening in your building? Listen in as Gabrielle and Jed share what lesson study means to them, why they think it is worthwhile to do as often as possible, and they debunk some common myths and challenges one might encounter as you look to build this highly impactful professional learning structure into your department, school, or district. Are you ready to rock, Kyle? DJ, play that sweet, sweet song. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of educators worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. John, are you ready for episode number 30? Yeah, can you believe this? Like 30. I am shocked to read 30 and uh, or to say episode 30. I can't even believe it. It's awesome. This has been the a time great, is flying. It's been a great journey so far. But I can't wait to share this conversation with Jed and Gabby uh, with you and the rest of the Math Moment Maker community. Before we get to our discussion with Gabby and Jed, we want to let you know that the Making Math Moments Academy, your home for ongoing support in implementing problem-based lessons, amping up your pedagogical moves, and stretching your math content knowledge is now open and has been open, and Making Math Moments community is waiting to welcome you in. You can decide if the academy is right for you over at makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. Well, let's go gangbusters on lesson study with Gabrielle and Jed. Hey there, Jed and Gabby. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are super pumped that you are joining us. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Awesome stuff. That's amazing. Since we have two of you on the show today, let's take some turns. Gabby, can you tell our audience a little about yourself and maybe a little bit about your teaching role? Sure. I am a wife and a mother of two little girls, four and eight, and currently a high school math teacher. Just a little bit about my teaching background. I started off in elementary school um, as an elementary school teacher, went to middle school, high school, um, taught online, and I work with teachers through our local university who are becoming math teachers, and like I said, currently a high school math teacher. Cool. You have taught all levels. You know what? I don't know if I have come across a teacher that has taught like elementary, middle school, all levels, even online. That's, uh, that you've got, uh, must have the skill set of the teaching ninja. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Jed, how about you? Can you fill us in on your role? You know, a little bit of a background for you. Uh, I know that we've met a number of times, but how about our listeners? They probably would love to know more about Jed. Go for it. Awesome. I began teaching in middle school, actually, 
And then over my first five years of teaching, and then I shifted to high school my second year teaching math classes. And I wound up teaching over my first five years everything from eighth grade pre-algebra all the way up through AP Calculus BC minus AP Stats. So in a very short period of time, I got to see a lot of different courses. And that helped me a lot in working with other teachers, working better for my own students. And then I shifted districts, trying to get closer to home. And I was only in that district for one year. And then I started being a teacher specialist. So I was a math specialist for the district for about a year and a half. But that was at a district office. And I really, really missed being back at a school site. So a position opened up for a technology specialist, a teacher on special assignment with technology. That was at a school site, though. And so I took that. And now I'm at Heritage High School along with Gabby. And my title is Instructional Technology TOSA. But my passion from the classroom is math. So I always love trying to work with math teachers. And that has a lot to do with what Gabby and I worked on. Awesome. That word TOSA, I was hoping you were going to use it, the acronym yeah. TOSA for <laughs> us in, here in Ontario. Uh, for a while, I would see people, especially in California, it seems to be a thing. I'm sure there's some other states that have that same yeah. acronym, but that teacher on special assignment, which is a pretty cool role. And it sounds like you've had like a lot of different experiences. I really like the idea that you started with middle school and kind of worked your way up, not suggesting that you had to go that way, but it's it's almost like, you know, did you feel like you kind of followed some students or maybe not even just the students, but just like almost like the content and maybe like felt like you could almost see it developing as you went? Yeah, there's some of that. I honestly really struggled with the high energy of middle schoolers, just like the hormones on gone crazy. That was a big challenge for me. And getting into the high school, I realized it's not that they're the energy is not there. It's just a different kind of energy. And I connected with that a lot better with the students. I was growing each year and it was just kind of weird. Like when you get your teaching assignment, like here's the classes you're teaching next year. I was like, oh, look, something new again. And I just kind of embraced it. It was tough, but I learned a lot from it. And I'm sure Gabby would say the same thing, like doing multiple experiences is challenging, but you learn so much. Yeah, just starting off in the elementary school setting, it always served such a vital role to how I taught math at the middle school and high school level, just having a background in foundational mathematics. And Jed, you had mentioned like the energy level. I think sometimes the reverse that I love the energy level of middle schoolers compared to high schoolers. Just my high schoolers, I don't know about you guys, but my high schoolers are like, they're half asleep half the time. You know, that's like, oh, we got to like, <laughs> you want need me, more energy. You want yeah. me to do work? <laughs> <laughs> so whereas like, I still feel like grade six and seven, when I ask a question, kids are just shooting their hands up, like still pick me, pick me, pick me, you know, like yeah. the energy level is pretty crazy. I was in a grade four or five class today and had a blast out at a, a public school in my district, Harrow Public School. And, you know, I'm in this four or five class and it's like, you know, I'm doing a notice and wonder. And it's like, I've never in the secondary setting had to like shut down a notice and wonder where we're like, we need to start moving along. Like they're just so eager. <laughs> yeah. And I love it, you know, and like I do it very gracefully, of course. Like I don't want to, you know, like make them not want to be curious, but it's just like taking candy from a baby with those students. They're just ready to rock. So I'm wondering, Gabby, why don't you start us off? Uh, something we like to ask guests when they come to the show is to describe a memorable math moment from your past. So really, it's kind of like in your mind thinking like when you think about math class for you, for yourself, like what comes to mind? This could be a moment when you're a student or a teacher. Do you mind sharing? Hey, math moment makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today.
We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Sure. It actually happened recently during when Jed was co-teaching with me in my high school math class. It was in an algebra support class. And I remember Jed had shared a video titled Two is Greater Than Four. And it was about listening to students and what they're saying and responding to their ideas versus listening for an answer. And during this particular lesson, students were trying to determine if their value for X was a solution for an inequality. And they were struggling and I was struggling and there were teachers in the room and we were all kind of co-teaching and watching. And sometimes nerves are high when you know that, you know, of course, when you're being observed. And I was complicating things. And usually that's what I'll do when I start to get nervous. A student was struggling with his particular X value. And Jed stood up and he told the student to put his value, which I think was four, over the inequality, which I think it was like X is less than two. And the student did, and Jed just simply asked him true or false. And the student responded, and he finally, I mean, it was so simple. He just asked true or false, and the student understood. And the student looked at me, and later on he said, Mr. Butler explains things so simply. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) okay, forgive me. Like, I'm still learning and trying. But that moment was memorable for me because I always want to teach conceptually, but when I get stuck as a teacher, I revert back to procedures. And so it was a good lesson for me to just like take a deep breath and listen to what the student is struggling with and try to respond by, I don't know how to put it really, but just keeping it simple and responding with a question or going back to the concept versus, you know, I'm trying to think ahead into the procedures of how they're going to have to solve their homework problems. And that was a memorable moment for me because he made it so simple and the student understood. Wow. Yeah. No, I have two big takeaways from that conversation there or that share out there, Gabby. And one is this idea of staying curious. There's a book called The Coaching Habit. And John and I have actually mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times before. And, you know, a quote I love is this idea of staying curious just a little longer and holding off on action and advice giving just a little bit longer. So it's not that, you know, we never get there, but just to kind of stay a little curious. And then also the other big piece and what today's episode is going to be about is this idea of lesson study. And I feel like you've already given us a nugget as to the why lesson study is such a great idea. So thank you for sharing. Jed, we'll flip the same question over to you. What would be your most memorable math moment from your history as a math student? Uh, I guess, or like Gabby, it could have been as a teacher. Shoot it our way, would ya? I love math and I have a lot of great memories. It's hard to kind of pick one. So I'm trying to think of one that's relevant for stuff that we're doing today. And I remember probably about year five in teaching, I got a student teacher. So I was going to help train a teacher in how to teach math in particular. And it was neat to share ideas, to talk about lessons, to help plan things and collaborate But then when she started taking over more of the class and I started to just watch her teach, I all of a sudden started to accelerate my own learning as a professional. And it was mind boggling to me that why was I not learning like this before? Why could I not see these details? And also just in some conceptual mathematics, a lot of stuff that I have like made notes on online with transformational geometry and and making more sense of formulas through transformations. A lot of it came from a very specific day with that student teacher and trying to understand segments that intersect circles in different ways. And I thought, oh, wait, we could do something with this. So then I took a break while she was teaching and I started working at my desk for a minute to figure something out. And it was just so impacting that we don't slow down, stop and think about what we're doing and use that reflection to 
help improve ourselves and each other. And it's always been something that sticks with me. I really appreciate that both of your memories were about collaboration and building off each other and learning from other teachers. And I think we don't do that enough. There's not a lot of opportunity sometimes to do that. And I'm so glad that we're talking about lesson study today. And you guys have kind of brought that to the forefront, even with your memories. So let's talk about your presentation from the NCTM 2019 conference in San Diego. Kyle, you want to ask the next little thing here? Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention I had the opportunity, just so people listening, I had the opportunity to actually hear this presentation live at NCTM in San Diego uh, just a few short weeks ago. And it was awesome to hear this and see it in person. And by hearing it in person as well, you had some great music clips between different parts that often uh, connected with some of the tips that you were giving folks. And, you know, we really were excited to bring you on to the podcast. Yeah, I've mentioned it here on the podcast in particular, like my school uses lesson study. Each semester, we start a new kind of round of lesson study. And I've highly recommend it, Jed. I know that we talked a little bit about it while we were uh, just chatting in the hotel about lesson study, which kind of sparks why we wanted to have this particular episode. You're passionate about it. Gabby's passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. So is Kyle. So why don't we start with what is it? Like, what is lesson study? Like, you guys are the experts on this. So uh, we want to, we, <laughs> and we're all learning, right? We're all learning, but we want to learn from you. And also all the listeners, I'm sure, want to learn from it. So can you just fill us in on like, what is it for people who are like, well, yeah, what's going on here? I love how you say that. I love how you call us experts <laughs> because when Gabby first mentioned it to me, I was like, oh, I've heard those words. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> and then we kind of, we're all on a learning journey, all, right? Yeah, all start. That's all I sure. Like. I think it would be good for Gabby to share how she first utilized lesson study before she came to our district. And then maybe after that, I'll share a little bit about how we kind of developed it at our school site and kind of defined it for ourselves. So Gabby, why don't you share how you first started with it? Sure. So to answer your question, John and Kyle, lesson study originates from Japan. It's a model of teachers leading instruction and studying lessons, but they're targeting a specific area for students to develop. And there's three parts to that cycle. It's planning the lesson. The second part is observing and teaching the lesson together. And then the third part would be to reflect on the demo lessons and then again, start planning for the next cycle. I first was introduced to lesson study as a middle school teacher. I was teaching and that particular school had received a grant to partake in lesson study. So we were trained in formal lesson study where we would plan the same lesson. And on a particular day, the first person would teach, we would debrief, make changes to the next lesson. And by third period, the second person was teaching with those changes being made. And we did that for three years. So my first experience was first as a participant. And then when I served as an instructional coach, I facilitated lesson study, not as formally because they were teaching different lessons, but groups of middle school teachers, ELA, science, I'm sorry, ELA and math, they would decide on a particular goal. For example, we want students to be able to use academic vocabulary. And even though their lessons were, you know, based on different grade level standards, we were targeting that goal of students speaking and listening. Most recently with Jed and at our, our high school, Heritage High School, we've been picking a common goal and designing lessons that are focused on those goals. And most recently it was helping students to speak about their mathematical thinking, and write about their mathematical thinking. So we were planning separate lessons based on a common goal, watching each other teach on a particular day, and debriefing after those lessons were taught. Curious question, just because we do it at our school too. How are you guys... How are you guys choosing the common goal amongst yourselves for what you focus on? Is that something that you all just kind of, let's try this, or we want to prove here, or is there any sort of data behind that? That's really good as a question. I was going to say, Gabby usually holds like an interest meeting. And in that interest meeting, we kind of field some potential goals. But as we've been doing it more, we've noticed that we need to structure those goals really well, not only for the planning and the observing, but also for 
the documentation process because if we really truly want to look at something and study it and grow in it, we need to be able to say what it is. And it's hard to do that. There are some things out there that help kind of predefine some goals. The TRU, Teaching for Robust Understanding Framework, has like five dimensions that are really good places to start. And if you talk to universities that run lesson studies up and down California, they will often refer to that framework as where they choose to focus their goals. Um, And I think Gabby was going to say something. I might have cut her off. Yeah, no, I was just going to add that to answer the question that we chose that goal because we had two particular school goals. They were site-wide goals, and one of them was based on students being able to write across the content. So we wanted to support that site-wide goal by selecting a focus area, which was helping students to write about their math. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Here we call like our school improvement plans, right? Where you have some site-wide goals where you're really trying to ensure that all students can achieve certain ideas or certain skills or concepts. And obviously literacy being one of them, communication being a huge part of that. That sounds really logical, right? To kind of start with your school plan and see what you can build from there. Kyle, as you were saying that and Gabby mentioning her thing, that actually addressed, like, I know we're going to discuss some of the challenges that we anticipated and how did we overcome them. But this was a big one was lining up with your school goals and maybe district goals too, is find out what your superiors have already kind of said they want you to work on and see how you can just line up with that with your own lessons. I'm not saying just copy whatever they do, but make sure you're aligned with it. And that helps with getting support from your administration. If you say, look, you wanted me to work on this goal. Here is something we are actively doing to work on that goal. And we're documenting it and we're growing in it. We're not just saying that we're doing it. We're actually doing it. It's really helpful then to have that conversation and say, can you help support us financially and time-wise with maybe covering some subs for classrooms or a little bit of time for planning? That makes a ton of sense to me as well. And and something I like with starting there, I mean, everything you've said makes a whole lot of sense is that, you know, having clarity across a school is so important because if everyone's going for different goals, then, you know, it's very difficult to find that cohesion, right? To get that alignment, that school alignment that everyone's hoping to achieve. And then the other big thing too that I'm hearing from this is like even the goal that you've set, you know, it's large enough where I think you can get more specific through, you know, starting there and then realizing that, hey, you know, in order to do this, I'll need to do that. And then you start focusing on that. And in order to do that, now I've got to do this other thing. And you start to kind of going down this rabbit hole and you start to learn more about what it is that we need to be doing as teachers in order to have the best chance at reaching our students. I'm a little bit more curious on sometimes the setup here. Like, for example, is this for you guys? Like, I know for me and my experience on lesson study is we've had grants from, say, our government or our districts are saying, like, you got this chunk of money that will cover your release time and you guys could plan together and go observe each other and then debrief the cycle that you kind of mentioned. Is that how you guys are set up? Like you're getting grant money for this, uh, for release time, or like are there tips that that people can do if they don't have the grant money? Like what does it look like for you guys? So we don't have grant money. So you're meeting like after school, at lunches, that kind of stuff? Lunches, yeah. So most schools in our area, at least, We'll have some kind of collaboration time. Uh, some people might call it like a PLC time or open collaboration. And then, of course, lunches. And we are very efficient, I think, with our meeting times. We'll usually have maybe a casual interest meeting to open up who's in and how are the groups getting pieced together. And then there will be maybe one collaboration day where you're planning the lesson with follow-up, you know, and things like that. And one day where we are released for the teaching and we'll do the debrief on that same day. So we only get one day of substitute teacher coverage and one day beforehand using our collaboration time. Gotcha. That's pretty awesome that you guys are that dedicated and like buying into this kind of process. 
I think it's great to hear that you do have PLC time. You're also using some of that lunch time. And, you know, for those listening, I think it's important for you to think like, you know, every school is different. Every district is different. So if I'm there and I'm going like, maybe I do or I don't have collaboration time, someone who's sitting there and thinking like, what are some of the maybe examples or your thinking or beliefs around the benefits of why we should be doing lesson study? So why should our listeners seriously consider trying to build lesson study into their practice, regardless of whether they have access to, let's say, collaboration time or PLC time? Like, why do you think this would be something that's valuable for people to seriously consider making happen some way, somehow? I want to just give a little background. So when I participated in lesson study as a teacher, we were given a ton of money from the grants. So we were given pullout days to plan, multiple pullout days to plan, multiple days to observe each other. And this happened for three years. So I was very fortunate to experience that type of generosity from our principal and the local university to be able to facilitate that. And then as a coach, we were given, I want to say about five days out of the year. And then now at Heritage, like Jed said, we were planning during our lunches, our PLC time. And I can say, speaking from a teacher participant and as a coach and back to a teacher now, that lesson study and this is my opinion, is the single most effective catalyst for change. When I say change, I'm referring to improvement in a teacher's self-efficacy and their pedagogy and also opportunities for students to experience mathematics or any subject. I believe in lesson study wholeheartedly. At Heritage, it was born out of frustration. We were at a pullout day for Algebra 1, and we were sitting around the table, all math teachers from all of the different secondary schools. We were looking at our scores, and it's like the same thing every time. It's like this gray cloud settles over. We're disappointed. We reflect on how hard we taught. What could we have done better? And I was feeling so unsatisfied with the same story every single year, not just at Heritage High School, but at the previous districts that I've been to. This is nothing new. And I was just so frustrated of the same conversation. What did we do well? What could we do better? And I just went around the table and I was like, are you guys willing to work together? Because we need to work together. And I asked every person individually at that table if they would be willing to try lesson study, not knowing if they had heard about it, just assuming that, you know, from the name, they could kind of figure out what it was. But after that, there was a particular teacher who I worked closely with. And when I sent out the email to rally up the troops and see if anyone was in. No, I told her, I said, Holly, you know, it might just be me and you at this interest meeting. And she was like, that's okay. We only need two. So if that's what happens, we can still do this. And so we called the interest meeting and several teachers showed up. From there, we just started planning, really. We went over what it was, who's interested, what we want to focus on. But we met for that very first round last year. We met so many mornings, so many lunches. During our period, we were desperate to do something just to get out of that old and crusty way of dealing with, you know, the disappointments of teaching. Like we know we need each other. I experienced the same things that you said, and it's made such a difference in my department. Makes me wonder, like, Jed, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what do you think is the actual reason behind the fact that is it just getting together and discussing that causes so much goodness and change and learning? What is it about, like, just putting us together, do you think, makes this happen? To me, it's active learning. Like, when you talk about effective methods for teaching students and we dig on how ineffective lecturing is, when we just talk to each other during collaboration, that's the same thing. You're just saying words and you're not actually doing, you're not acting it out together. You're not role playing. You're not trying to see what works and what doesn't. And when you do lesson study, you're seeing it in action. Sometimes with ours, we even have the observers be more interactive. And depending on how you define your lesson study, that's okay, or should it be whatever. But it's a much more active experience. The teachers that are 
watching it happen. They're not only seeing what preparation went into some kind of instruction, they're seeing what moves the teacher uses on the fly to adjust. They're seeing how the students receive it, how they respond. They're seeing the whole picture. And when you get that experience, you learn so much better and you can take away so much more. Like it's just an act of learning for teachers. That makes so much sense to me. You know, oftentimes I've heard this said before. I, I don't recall where it is from, but this idea of oftentimes in a professional learnings community or collaboration time, or even sometimes at like PD sessions, it'll be like trying to drive this taking good conversations to like a learning conversation. And even at that, a learning conversation that doesn't actually have the learners in the room leaves out so much of the detail and the like those details are what makes a lesson work or flop, right? Like if, you know, what happens when a student says this? What happens when, you know, I run into this scenario where like I thought I fully understood this concept and then a student brings up a strategy that appears to work and I have no idea, you know, where it came from. You know, it sounds to me like what you're saying is putting it in action and then sort of multiplying the number of observers and the number of teachers in the room to try to like unpack that as it's happening is so much more helpful, right? Like if I'm at the front and things aren't going so well, I don't have really the bandwidth in my mind to like think of what's going on. I'm just trying to get out of the situation. Whereas those observers, they could be sitting there and kind of watching what the kids are doing as it's happening and so on and so forth. So that to me makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say, this also ties into like another motivational issue that Gabby and I would often encounter that anyone encounters because when you're watching another teacher teach, like almost at the top of everyone's mind is, so is this official? Is this evaluative? Are you going to judge me? And so from the beginning, we have to tell teachers, you're going in this with a selfish motivation. You want to take things away from this experience that you can use in your classroom. So don't think about giving the teacher feedback for their sake. Think about coming in as a learner and taking away for your own sake. And that's a big deal. And just having that, we get so many nuggets for each person. And they're not even the same nuggets. What Gabby took away from a lesson is not what I took away. And what I took away is not what she took away. I think on the flip side of that is the teacher who's delivering the lesson. And I know th from working with teachers in this is that I think initially when you bring up the idea to teachers that you're going to do this process where we're going to co-plan and then one of us will go and we'll all watch. I feel like there's maybe you've had this experience too. Like the teachers are gonna be like, I don't really want to teach in front of my colleagues. You know, like we're always like me, kids, me, kids. Wait, there's an adult in the room. That's nervous. You know, like I'm now too nervous what do you say to those people? Like, what do you say to the teachers when you're trying to convince them like, hey, this is going to be okay and this is going to be a good experience? Yeah, I wanted to validate what you're saying, John and Kyle, what you said earlier and Jed. Active learning requires vulnerability and the teacher is to a degree exposing themselves to other teachers and their practice and it can be daunting. And there have always at every first meeting, there are always teachers who say, I'm interested, but I don't want to present. And that's okay. That's really good about, you know, making that okay and saying, okay, we have something to learn from everyone, but you also have something to offer. So keep it in the back of your mind, you know, as you observe teachers, you know, what you also have to share. And that vulnerability piece is so important to me because I think I said it at NCTM, but the relationships amongst teachers is critical. And because our teaching day is so full of teaching and not collaborating, those times to connect are very limited. And so we were meeting during any break there or any opportunity that we had. But for a brand new teacher, for example, this year, we had two brand new teachers to our team who when I asked them to join, agreed to join. And that was a big risk for them because they didn't know me and I didn't know them. But I, I'm experienced enough to know that I just don't care if I flip or flop. I want to grow. But for them, I was so grateful for their willingness to just jump in and dive into the opportunity to collaborate. And now, even though it's been less than a year, even though lesson study is kind of on pause right now, we have developed a relationship 
from that lesson study experience. So we just pop into each other's classrooms real quick. Okay, this is how I'm teaching it. How are you teaching it? And we'll just like, our board will be covered in 10 minutes about talking about best practices. And I know that that would not be taking place had we not had the opportunity to bond through lesson study. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. You know, first of all, you had mentioned it earlier. It's like getting vulnerable is so important. And, you know, it kind of ties in with this idea. And you mentioned it in your math moment at the beginning, Gabby, about this recent experience. And, you know, you were being observed and, you know, you felt like you sort of got stuck at a point in the lesson. And what I'm feeling you say here is that really, like, we have to be okay with those challenges, like with those failures. So to me right now, you're doing such a great job for all of our listeners with debunking these myths or these perceived barriers to why like a lesson study might be too hard for me to try at my school or in my district or with my colleagues. Like, what about teachers who are listening and thinking like, I love my colleagues, but you know, some of them are just like pretty content with what they do. Like, what do you have to say about that? Like, how could we maybe overcome that particular challenge? I'll answer that a little bit because Gabby and I have gone back and forth on this a lot. And she mentioned earlier how we have a conversation that everybody has something to take and everybody has something to give. And even if you have a teacher that is maybe more dry in their instruction or a little more kind of old fashioned, there's still things that they do well. And it's trying to find how they do those things well. Like every teacher does do things well in their classroom. And a lot of times we don't know what they are unless we go in and watch. And you'd be surprised. It doesn't matter which room it is, even if it's just glorifying how awesome it was that they took attendance. That's still part of teaching and that's still part of the classroom. And you'll still take away that nugget and it'll impact you in a way that you can go and improve your classroom teaching back in your own room. So there's always something. It doesn't matter their style, their background, their approach. They have something to offer. You just have to open your eyes. And we just as a group have to be able to embrace that. Let's talk about the issue of time and like maybe time of not only just time of like, how do we plan all this? Because I think we've addressed that. Like you guys are meeting in your lunches and your PLC times. What about the idea of time? Like uh, how often do we have to do the lesson study? And like how much are you meeting before you, uh, let's say, go into a class? And like, is it the same day? Is it the day before? Are there optimal schedules? And obviously sometimes, you know, you have to deal with what you have. But do you have sort of like something that's kind of like your sweet spot of how this would look and sound in terms of framing out like a specific lesson and then maybe even like on a larger scale, like in your cycles? Well, in an ideal world, and when you look at like the traditional lesson study from Japan and such, it is constant all the time, every day, every week. But in a reality where we're still trying to develop it, Gabby had said earlier, you know, there's a pre, there's the teaching, and then there's the post with the reflection. And we've kind of shrunk down our teaching day and our reflection into one day. And then we just have to do our pre far enough ahead of time that you can plan the lesson and hone it a little bit. And that's working okay for us. I don't know, like Gabby, if you want to say like what's in your experience, what's seemed to be effective in terms of quantity and the timing of the lesson studies. I would say in an ideal world, you could have at least one day a month. and in that one day, the very first planning cycle, you're going to have to meet during your planning time, unless you're given a separate day. Once that first planning session is done and you have your day where your subs are paid for, if you can 
observe, reflect, and then get the planning done for the next session and just kind of meet at least once or twice in between that session and the next month, then that would be ideal. So I would say ideally one day per month. And I'll add too, because Gabby was saying that how much it made a difference with her team and the relationships they have. They only met one time last fall and that's it. And they still have lasting impacts. So the biggest message we had in our session at NCTM is you don't have to wait until you have a final draft plan of your lesson study to do anything. You need a rough draft plan. You need to have something scheduled for pre, during, and post. Once you have that, just go. Just do it. Work together and watch each other teach. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so true for pretty much everything in life, right? Like, don't wait until it's perfect. Just go and get started. And, you know, in our district, we're really trying to push people getting into their classrooms and not necessarily in a formalized way, but obviously as formal as they feel comfortable. And in particular, our administrators, uh, we have what we call administrator learning teams in Greater Essex. And administrators get together with a team of colleagues, a team of principals, or if it's a vice principal group, they'll get together with their vice principal group. And what some teams have done is now they're actually going in and the administrators are going in to essentially co-plan, co-teach, and co-debrief with a teacher on their staff to really do this buy-in. Like We know that the administrator is so important when it comes to improving mathematical like pedagogy, content knowledge, and just like overall instruction in a building, in our elementary schools anywhere, from K through eight, we have like administrators going in and I've had the opportunity to hang out with a couple of these groups. And I'll tell you just from like you said, that one experience, like the amount of trust that you see. And it's not that these people haven't trusted each other. It's just they've never trusted each other in this way before, right? To go in totally, it's hitting all these points that you've mentioned, this idea of like getting vulnerable, going in like some of these administrators haven't actually taught a math lesson. For some of them, it could have been like a decade ago when they were in the classroom teaching the math class. And they're essentially saying to their colleagues, as well as to their teachers, I'm going in, you know, I'm going to say rusty, and I'm not saying it rusty, because you know, it's not good just because they haven't done it in so long. They haven't actually like greased the wheels in so long. And they're saying, we're going to be okay with failure. There's going to be times where this isn't going to work out as well as we, you know, had hoped or thought in our minds. And we're seeing more and more of our ALT groups sort of taking the plunge. And all it takes is like one person in that group to say, I'm going to be the one to do it. And it's like, as soon as one does it and everyone sees, they're like, I can do that. And then they're all of a sudden like all in and now they're planning the next one. So it's really exciting to see. And I just love how everything that you've laid out for us in this episode is really sort of echoing my own experience in being kind of like the passive observer. I'm there for some of the planning, but I really try to like let it be organic and just support when called upon, but essentially just watch it happen. And it's really, really awesome to see. I love how you said, I can do that. Like that's so significant of all the people I've seen experience this. They look at it and they say, I can do that. Absolutely. You know, and it can look and sound different. Like that's like the beautiful part. I want to add to what Gabby said. We've been doing lesson study in my school for about four to five years now. And when we started lesson study, we were all unsure of how that was going to go. We had, you know, we got vulnerable, we supported each other. But because of that, that math department that we were individuals before, but now we were a team. And when we did it, we also had the administrator on all of those planning sessions. In Ontario right now, there is the funding that we're getting is from a program which is encouraging all of the administrators to be parts of these teams. So it was great to have the administrator help plan these lessons and observe these lessons. And like Kyle said, even teach some of these lessons. So the biggest benefit for us and my department is that we've become so much closer and, and know what each of us are really strong at. And like you said, Jed, that when you go in and see, you pull something different every time you see a lesson. And how often do we ever get to do that? We, you know, we never really get to do it. And I think we need two more. Yeah, absolutely. Break down those barriers. And, you know, another piece too that I've noticed, especially when it comes to this sort of activity or even just different types of projects being involved in a lot of times, like you notice the greatest effects after 
the fact. So like, you know, you learn a ton through the process and in the reflection, but then year or two later, you kind of look back and you think like, wow, I'm doing things like much more differently than I was say a year or two ago. And you start to kind of think back and follow the path and you think, huh, all the roads sort of lead to these experiences where we kind of step outside our comfort zone a little bit. So I think that's really significant. I hope people at home are listening and thinking, you know what, I'm going to try to get this started with, and all it takes really is one to start, you know, get you, it's nice to have a nice group, but Hey, just like tap a colleague and say like, let's do this together. And that group can definitely grow. So what I want to do at this point, because we're coming to the end of our episode, we want to give you an opportunity to maybe share like any resources or anything like places people can go to learn more about lesson study, but not just lesson study, maybe a little bit more about Jed and Gabby. Like where can they learn more about you and be able to maybe reach out to you and tap you for maybe to dive into some more specifics around your experiences with lesson study? Sure. So I'm available. Anyone can get in touch with me via Twitter. My handle is at Ladner Mejia. That's L-A-D-N-E-R-M-E-J-I-A. And just to share a resource, there's a website. I think it's Teacher Development Trust, tdtrust.org. And if you type in tdtrust.org forward slash what is lesson study, that is a good place to start if you're calling an interest meeting and want to break it down as simple as possible for awesome. your colleagues. Awesome. Thank you for that. Awesome. How about Ted? I'm on Twitter as well, at Math Butler. I have blogged in the past, but not recently. And I would say feel free to reach out to me there. I probably should be sharing more than I do currently, <laughs> you know. We know. My own we know. <laughs> You've yeah. got some little ones, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. A one-year-old and a three-year-old. The thing that has impacted me in thinking about lesson study and trying to find structures for groups to work in and also in coaching with teachers is that TRU framework that I mentioned. And if I just do a web search for TRU math framework. And I type in math framework because it's a math group that started it. And I'm sure we can get these links to you guys for your show notes sure. or something. We'll put them in. Yeah, no problem. Perfect. But one of the things that I'd like to say about the TRU framework is they have these guides for facilitating conversation, depending on which dimension that you want to focus on out of their big five. And it has guides if you're a math educator, but it also has guides that are just worded more generally for any subject. So since I coach with teachers from all subjects, I've been using that as a model um, just for coaching with teachers as well as lesson study. Awesome. Awesome. And if you folks don't mind, I can also include in the show notes, your NCTM resources. Definitely. Uh, is that okay if we share those out? It's uh, a bit.ly link bit.ly forward slash lesson dash study dash now. And we will include those in the show notes for this episode. Well, Gabby and Jed, we want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences with Lesson Study. I love your open learning stance. I love how you're giving people some actionable ways that they can overcome some of those barriers, some technical and some that are just more personal and professional barriers that we sort of cast on ourselves. And I think I've learned a ton here. And I know that people listening at home have learned a ton as well. So we want to thank you so much on behalf of the Math Moment Maker community. We hope you have an amazing evening and uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great night, friends. Wow, what an awesome conversation. Now, we shared some of our takeaways at the end of the interview. Now we want to know your big takeaways. Hit us up right now. Take out your phone. Only if you're not driving, get online and either email us or tag us on Twitter and Facebook. What was the takeaway from this episode for you? Or maybe you have some questions. Send those our way too. We'd love to keep the conversation going. Did you know that we are consistently hitting on the top education podcast charts each week? That's because of your listens and your subscribes. Do us a huge favor so that we could reach as many math educators as possible by hitting the subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Have you checked out the Make Math Moments Academy yet? What? Are you kidding me? 
What are you waiting for? The Academy is your home for ongoing support in implementing problem-based lessons, amping up your pedagogical moves, and stretching your math content knowledge. And it's now open, and the Make Math Moments Academy community is waiting to welcome you in. You can decide if the Academy is the right math professional development fit for you over at makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 30. Again, that is makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 30. We release a new episode every Monday morning, so keep an eye open for our next episode. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's, it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.